Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, we are four weeks into a six-week series, so we are more than halfway through a series called The Cost of Peace. And the cost of peace, as I've been saying over the past several weeks, is forgiveness. The cost of peace is forgiveness. If you want peace in your life, you must forgive. Jesus says you cannot be forgiven unless you forgive others. We find forgiveness as a key element to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came, gave his life, so that you and I, as we believe in him, could have new life. Without Christ, there is no new life. Instead, the curses of Genesis 3 continue on, continue to hold sway over humanity without Christ. Because of Christ, those curses were broken. Yes, we live in a fallen and broken world for a time, but we can live above the fray as people who live above reproach in Christ. Today we come to one of the more difficult um, passages that we will be looking at in this series as we've been going through our small group study, last week's message from Noel Jack, and he did a great job, I hear. And from uh, this week's message were the most difficult passages for our small group leaders to go through. Last week's and this week's message. Why? The biggest part of the reason that these two messages are very difficult is because we are called to honor authority. We are, by nature, a rebellious people. Every generation from the beginning of time with exception of Adam and Eve before the fall, have been a rebellious people. There is a pinpoint or a seed of rebellion in everyone that we call the sin nature. We've all sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So how do we overcome that seed of rebellion within us? We're told in Paul's letters, and even in Jesus' teachings in the Gospels, that the way to overcome this is through forgiveness, and it's through honor and respect. But the question this morning is, and I'm guessing every one of you have had these moments in your life where you have been grievously hurt by somebody. You've been betrayed, you've been besmirched, your character or reputation has been marred by no fault of your own. Have there been hurts in your life where, you, where you've really been just hit broadside by somebody, even maybe somebody you love and trust that you never expected to be hurt by? How do you deal with that? How do you overcome that? What, what do you need to do in order to get over that hurdle or that hump that maybe has held sway over you for years, decades? How is it even possible? Well, I contend it's not possible without Christ. If we look as our, at our lives compared to Christ's, we see someone who was truly perfect in every way. He'd never sinned. He'd never done anything even approaching what we would call wrong. And he was perfect in every way, as I said. Now, did Jesus deserve what he got? If you are a student of Scripture, even a new student of Scripture, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see religious leaders, those who were supposed to be the faithful bunch, the ones leading society in the right ways, in the right directions to do the right things. The people that should have been the most trusted were the ones that were trying to trip Jesus up, were trying to catch him in some little piece of the law that they could say, aha, you're wrong, so they could condemn him. 
They couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure this Jesus guy out. He was messing up their system. Isn't that funny? Side note, doesn't Jesus mess up our systems? If Jesus isn't messing up your system, then I question what system you're a part of. The worldly systems of this life will always be messed up by God. Once we think we've got God figured out and we've put him nicely and neatly into our structures, he says, yeah, I don't, yeah, no. He will never do anything that's contrary to his character, but he will never fit into the boxes we make for him. No matter what church you're a part of, what traditions you hold dear, God will never fit into our preconceived models of experience. God is God and we are not. And we have to be open to the realities of who he is in any and every situation in life. And when he doesn't respond the way we think he should or expect him to, we have to say, okay, God, what are you doing here? Is this a new thing? You have to be open to that. Now, God will never be contrary, like I said, to his will, his ways, or his word. Do you understand me? God will never be contrary or contradictory to his will, his ways, or his word. And whenever you're questioning, God, is this you, you need to ask yourself, well, what is God's will? What is God's way? Well, Jesus was the way. And what is God's word? Well, the word is the Bible. You hear me say this all the time. You probably get sick of hearing me say this. You have to be in the word. You have to be in the word in order to try to make some sense of what's going on in the world around us. Why is it such a mess? Because it is so antithetical and so contradictory to the word of God. The further a society gets away from the word the more chaotic and anarchic it becomes. I'm off on a big tangent here. Let me get back on track. Our passage today comes from Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And if you have that with you, please join along. If you don't, it's going to look a little weird if you're reading from another translation. Some of you have asked, why do you choose this translation? It's, it's not my favorite. And that's okay. It's just easier to read. I would agree with you. There are times when it doesn't translate the way I think it should either, but I think it's easier to read. And where I believe it doesn't translate well, I use other resources and I look at root words so I can make sure I'm trying to be as honest and as authentic with the word as I can be. But the New Living Translation, Romans chapter 12, we're going to start with verse Nine, and we're going to go into chapter 13. Follow along with me today. He starts out with this verse. Don't just pretend to love others. Let me say that again. Don't just pretend to... How many of you are good pretenders? How many of you can make others believe something that you don't really feel? You know what I mean? How are you today? Oh! great everything's awesome really I mean didn't your dad just die last week <laughs> yes he did everything's fantastic didn't you just lose your job you bet I did hallelujah you know don't just pretend to love other how many of you have pretended to love somebody else. I contend again that pretending to love is a form of evil. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Wait, we tell our kids not to hate. No, no, no. It's okay. Hate what is wrong. Well, what is wrong? What is right and wrong? This is one of the biggest things I've had to deal with over the past 10 to 15 years of ministry. Well, how do we know what's right and wrong? Truth is relative. 
No, it's not, actually. It's black and white. And I, I'll go back to this. This is a small little brief sermonette, and then I'll jump back on track here. Truth is not relative. Truth is truth, regardless of what you want to call it. You may not like the truth. That's a, that's a whole different story. But truth is truth, regardless of what you want to call it. You can call truth a lie all you want to, but it doesn't make truth a lie, no matter how much you call it a lie. Okay? Okay. True? All right. Truth is truth. We know what truth is because of who God is. And again, one of my favorite verses of Scripture, you hear me quote it all the time, which was a revolutionary verse for me. It is a, it is a verse that totally transformed how I think about truth. It's one of those, it was when I was going through, I was in ministry classes. I was studying to be a pastor at a college, you know, learning Greek and doing all that fun stuff. But I was questioning the reality of truth. What, God, why can't every faith lead to you? Why can't multiple different Types of faith and religions. Why can't they all lead to this one point of light, which is you? And the revelation that came was when I was reading John chapter 14, and Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples in this one verse taken within context where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I had a real dilemma of faith in that moment because either what Jesus said was true or it was a lie. And if Jesus is a liar, then I can't submit my life to him. Is that correct? So if Jesus said that he was the way or is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to who? The Father except through him then that's either a truth statement or it is a lie. If he is the truth and truly is who he says he is, then that statement not only holds weight, it is the crux of faith and salvation and eternal life. If that statement is true, then everything else Jesus says is true and I have to take it as firmly and as authoritative as that one statement. So can any other religion lead to the Father? Can any other person or prophet on the face of the earth lead to the Father except through Christ? I had to come to this solidified reasoning of my own to say, if I'm going to continue in this course of learning and understanding, then I have to fully submit to that. Not because it's an obligation, not because I will have wasted my money in education if I don't, but because I believe it's true, then I have to submit myself to it. And over 20 years ago, when I made that commitment, I've not turned back. And I've actually become more assured as each year passes that that is not just the truth. It is the unequivocal, unabashed, rock-solid truth of all time. Or I shouldn't be up here. No pastor should ever take the stage of any church or any congregation across the globe that doesn't hold that stance. And that's not me just being a nerd about this stuff. That's me actually saying... If this is true and you stand up and say it's not, then you are a liar and you're calling God a liar and you're a false prophet and you're spewing false teaching. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection, genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Okay? So don't just, do you catch a delineation here? Go back and read the previous verses or chapters and read the chapters after this one. It will not tell you 
there's a delineation of love. Don't just pretend to love others. Who are others? Who are the others? It's a movie, right? No, I'm just, who are the others? Well, Jesus, when he says what the greatest commandments are, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, tells us who our neighbor is because the religious leader is saying, okay, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus intentionally picks out the most hated person in society to become the hero in his parable. And he says, that's your neighbor. Now, let's go back to this. Paul's not going to contradict Jesus' teachings. And he says, don't just pretend to love others. All people really love them. Well, Brandon, you don't know what so-and-so and such-and-such has done to me. Okay, we'll get, nah, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Hold that. Pause. We'll come back to that. How can I love somebody who's unlovable? How can I love somebody who's treated me so poorly? How can I forgive them when they're unforgivable? How can I honor them when they're not honorable or respectable? Rejoice. He says, never be, okay, let me go on here. So take delight in honoring each other. Never be, I love this word, never be lazy. But work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. That's a tough one, isn't it? Brandon, I just have a hard time. I don't have enough time. And when I do, I tend to, my mind wanders. I tend to fall asleep. Keep on praying. Praying is not an option for the believer. It is the foundation for the believer. It's like in marriage. What kind of a relationship if, would I have with my wife if there was zero communication? And I mean, even if you say, well, what if you're deaf or you're, or you're, you're mute? You can't, but there are ways to communicate. What if, what would a relationship look like? What would marriage look like where there is zero communication? Anybody? He's like, my, my, my relationship's like that. Well, then there's a, probably a problem, right? My guess is if you live in a relationship right now where there is zero communication, it's probably breaking down, broken down, or on the verge of completely dissolving. Or has dissolved because of it. Prayer is the communion we have with the Lord. It is something we are to do unceasingly. If I don't commune or communicate with the Lord through prayer, then what kind of a relationship do I have with him? Not a great one in most cases. All right, I, I digress. Okay, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And then we get into some really good stuff. Bless those who persecute you. Now, he could have left it at that and moved on to a different subject, but he decides, no, I'm going to linger on this one for just a little bit. Just in case you didn't hear that first one, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, but pray that, no, here's the pray that God will bless them. <laughs> if somebody has hurt you, betrayed you, abused you, is this easy? Who's persecuting me? Who has hurt me? I'm not, and it's, it's not good enough to just not be around them, to try to forget them. We are to pray that God would bless them. No, I can't do that, Brandon. There's no way. No, no, no. It's not that I can't, I won't. I refuse to do that. What kind of a God would expect me to love an abuser? Would, would expect me to, to, to ask for them to be blessed? No way. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. <laughs> you see, 
That's directly tied to the other stuff we just read. Because the person who has been hurt, who has been persecuted, and unfairly so, has convinced themselves that they're right in wanting to curse the other person. Well, don't think you know it all. You see what Paul's saying? He's tying all of this together. I'm going to unpack this in a moment. I'm just laying it out for right now. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. See, in doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. <laughs> oh, yes, it's my way to get back. If I do, if I'm really nice to them, they're going to burn. No, that's not what that means. I checked out multiple commentaries. I've looked at the root words as best I can. This burning coals idea is a purifying process. This isn't your way to stick it to them. Oh, I'll be nice to you, all right, because I hate you. Because right? that's how this has often been misinterpreted. Oh, yeah, stick it to them by doing good. Mm. No, it's not sticking it to them. It's truly, because go back to what he says. Uh, da, 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 love each other, blah, dee, blah. <laughs> Pretend, really, hate what's wrong, hold title was good. Oh, yeah, don't curse them, but pray that God will bless them, right? It is hard to pray that God would bless somebody who's hurt you who's persecuted you, who's held you in contempt when you've done nothing contemptible. We're not to take revenge. We're to, we're to, we're to feed them, to give them drink. We're to have compassion on them even when they've never had compassion on us. In doing so, the hope is that they will be purified, that they will come to a place where they realize that they're on the fast track away from God that leads to hell, and that hopefully they'll be purified by my acts of kindness that will lead them to the Lord. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. We've allowed evil to conquer us at times as believers in Christ. We love the movies that show the bad guy or the bad girl or the bad character getting what's coming to them. Right? Oh, yes! That rock fell off of that mountain and just splatted them, right? Yes! Right? We love to see bad people getting it doled out on them in as much as they've doled out on others, if not worse. I've been in theaters through the years where you could just feel there's a palpable connection to the, what's going on in the movie, and then when the bad guy gets it, everybody cheers in the theater like, woo! Mm, right? You get really excited about that. When was the last time you saw a movie like this? Where the person who's persecuted or harmed or who has been condemned, again, for no reason of their own, honors those who persecute and hurt them. Don't let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good. Everyone, now this is, goes into chapter 13. It seems disjointed, but it's connected. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. 
in our political climate, is that fun? No matter what side of the aisle you're on. For all authority comes from God. Now, I want you to hear this. Submit to governing authorities because what? All authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against God, what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Well, this is, we, we really have a hard time with this. You mean God has established Trump? God has established Biden? God has given them authority? I think not. Right? We get this righteous indignation regardless of what side of the political spectrum you're on. I don't know if I can believe in a God who allows so-and-so or such-and-such to hold authority. God couldn't allow that. Go back to what I said earlier. When we put God in a little bitty box of our understanding, what does God often do? He breaks that mold. God does not fit into molds of our own making. God can never not be true to himself. He will always be good. He will always be perfect. To be contrary to that is to not be God. So he must always do what is in accordance with his very nature. And John, in 1 John, tells us what his very nature is. What is it? Love. Bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7. Never fails. It is very, very patient. Love is good in all circumstances, even when that good means not putting up with wrong behavior. See, love continues to love even when the object of love is in complete rebellion. But he can use that person in spite of themselves to bring about his good and perfect purposes. That doesn't mean that bad things won't happen in a sinful, broken, and fallen world. It doesn't mean that those that are placed in power and authority won't oftentimes run off the tracks and do things that are contrary to God's will. This is why we have a thing called free will. And a lot of people don't like to hear that word because they've believed that everything has been predetermined and preordained from the beginning of time that God has orchestrated every event on the face of the earth to happen just the way that it does or has for a reason. And I contend that God is God and gives us freedom to make choices and doesn't control those choices in a predetermined fashion, but rather has given us the freedom to choose, and he can respond accordingly to continue to bring about his good and perfect will, even when we fail. See, this is what makes God even more powerful than the God of the preordained mindset. If God has to control every single detail of every person's life, then that is not an all-powerful God. But there is a God who is all-powerful who can bring about good even when we choose bad. Even when those leaders and governmental authority choose wrongly and bring a lot of pain on a people, God can still bring good. I want you to know, when Paul is writing this, who is in authority and power at the time, at the head of the Roman government? And Caesar was Lord, according to their culture. They had temple cults where in every major city in the Roman Empire, you were required, no matter if you were a citizen or not of the Roman Empire, to go in as your duty and pledge honor and allegiance to Caesar as Lord, capital L, not lower L. Lower L means like Mr. Capital L means divine. 
You were to go in and say, Caesar is a divine being put in place by the gods as a god himself. And you were to go in to that temple, bow down in front of this altar that was a smoldering cauldron, take incense, pinch it, and as you were putting it in the fire to say, Caesar is Lord. Honor the authorities, Paul says. Guess who would kill Paul, have him beheaded. The very one whom he says you should honor. The one who would have him executed. See, this is why Christianity is oftentimes looked at in an admirable way, but really never tried. Do you hear me? Because it's hard. It's hard. Walking the walk of faith in Christ is not easy. But you have to remember, the the road that Jesus walked, was it easy for him? See, so when we take up our cross and follow him, we follow the same path to Golgotha, to be crucified with him. Our sufferings are not in vain. What we suffer now in the temporary is counted as glory if what we suffer is for the cause of Christ, even to the point of death. Anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. But Brandon, what, what, what do you do when they expect you to do things that are wrong? You're not to obey the wrong thing. I, I shouldn't be bowing down like, you know, we don't do the pinching of incense to, to uh, Caesar anymore, but what if, what if I'm being forced to do something that is wrong according to God's standards? What if I'm walking faithfully in Christ and what, what the authorities expect me to do would contradict the teachings of Jesus? There is a higher authority to whom we are accountable. And when the authorities that are put in place by God expect you to do something as a believer in Christ that contradicts God's teachings, then they have stepped out of the bounds of their authority and you submit to the higher authority. See, this is what Paul did. Paul and the early Christians were persecuted so badly, not because they were just Christians, but because they would not submit to the authorities in the areas that were demanded of them that would cause them to be in contradiction to Jesus or his teachings. They were thrown in prison. They were executed. Nero, one of the more famous crazy nut jobs of an emperor of the Roman culture at the time in the early first century to mid first century was known to take Christians Not only throw them in the arenas to be devoured or slaughtered by wild animals, but he would take them, execute them, or take them alive and impale them on pikes, put them in his courtyard, and light them on fire and throw parties. The authorities do not strike fear, for the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but those who are doing wrong. That sounds so contradictory to what you just said, Brandon. No, see, the authorities are put in place as a means of organizing society. I want to tell you something. The kingdom of God is not an anarchy. It is a theocracy. God is seated on his throne where he makes judgments and determinations that are perfectly good in all ways and situations. God has a throng of angels, and there are various different angels. If you read through the Old and New Testament, you see there are different rankings of angels. Did you know there's order in heaven? Where there is no order, there is chaos, but God brings order to all things. When you go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 and you see the created order, he is bringing order out of chaos. In the beginning, when God created everything, he says, 
It says that the earth was formless and void. But what does he do? He brings order to the chaos. The enemy, what does the enemy do? He brings chaos to order. The question I have for you today is, what do you think is happening in our society? Is there order being brought out of chaos, or is there chaos being brought out of order? The further a society drifts away from God, the more chaos and anarchic it becomes. Rebellion is known as witchcraft in the Old Testament. Do you know that? It's synonymous with that. We don't like the word witchcraft. We can handle rebellion okay, but we don't. Witchcraft seems way out there. When you are in rebellion, you are toying around with a thing called witchcraft. And that's not a good thing. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Then do what's right. And they'll honor you. You can see this countless times in the Old Testament. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's, here's, a, good, here's a good one. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like low men on the totem pole. They were actually eunuchs. They had been, they had been conquered as, as Israelite people, had their names changed, but because of their trustworthiness were placed in positions of honor and authority because they were good But it wasn't until Nebuchadnezzar said, all right, see this statue I've made out of gold? Bow down to it and worship it. Mm, you You know what they say? Your majesty. They honored Nebuchadnezzar to his face even in the midst of being conscientious objectors to what he was asking them to do. King Listen, we won't do that. We honor a higher authority. We can never bow our knee to a false god. Now, they didn't say all of that, but read the story. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh, yeah, you will, or I'll throw you into the fire. And you know what they said? We just did this sermon not long ago. We believe our God is able to rescue us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, do you hear that? We're still not going to bow to this idol. See, they didn't disrespect the king. They disrespected the king's order. Do, Do you hear what I'm saying? There are too many of us out there right now dishonoring the people who are in authority by the way we talk about them and act toward them. It's not them or their position that is dishonorable. It is their actions that often are. We are not to honor the actions of those in authority, but rather the position of authority itself as placed in position by God. Maybe some of you need to ask forgiveness for how you've talked about your leaders. And I'm not just talking about your governmental leaders, but maybe your spiritual leaders as well. See, I don't take this lightly. I know I've been placed in a position of authority, and you've heard me say oftentimes that I know I'll be held in stricter judgment because of that. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, for you will be judged more strictly, James says. I know I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday just the way every single one of you will be as well. And I'll have to give an account for me and how I handled the Word of God and how I handled the things of God. Listen to this. If you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. For those in authority have power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them and, do, and not only to avoid punishment but to also keep a clear conscience. Here's a fun one. Pay your taxes (laughs) for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They're serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. (sighs) 
Let me wrap this up a little bit. I know you have three points. I'm not going to expound on these three points because I've expounded on them as I went through the scripture just now. The first thing is really quickly, though, is this. Love is the key to overcoming hurt. You are hurt by somebody. If a persecutor has persecuted you to the nth degree, I want you to understand you don't have to go on family vacations with them. But you are to love them. Well, Brandon, you always say love is an action. Yes, it's selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional. And when you have opportunity to show that kind of love to them, then do it. But it doesn't mean that you have to continue to submit yourself or subject yourself to abuse. Do you understand me? I see this often. Brandon, I see abusers going back to those, or, or, or the abused going back to their abusers. I would never counsel that. I would counsel love and honor and respect, but you don't have to continue to subject yourself to abuse. You can peacefully exempt yourself from that space and that place. Jesus was in his hometown in Nazareth. It says he could do no miracles there because of their unbelief. Do you know what they tried to do to him in Nazareth? They tried to throw him off a cliff and stone him to death because of the things he was saying. Do you think Jesus said, oh, this is my hometown. I'm going to hang out with my bros. What's he do? I mean, I think he's hurt by this. He's obviously discouraged by this. But he shakes the dust from his robes and wipes it off his sandals. And he goes on to the next town. And we think, fine, I'll shake the dust off of you and, or from you and just head on. Right? Again, this wasn't a... This, yes, was a way of condemning them to their own devices, but it wasn't him haughtily saying, aha, I'll show you, thumbing his nose at them. Shaking the dust off meant I've done what I could do here, and there's nothing more I can do. So I'm not even going to carry the dust from this town into the next town. I'm not going to carry the hurt and the pain from this relationship into another space of my life. I'm letting it go. I forgive you, but you are condemning yourselves by your actions by rejecting the truth. I don't want that for you, but I'm not gonna carry your stuff into the next space that I'm going to. Do you catch what I'm saying? Love is the key to overcoming hurt. There are grievous hurts that we incur. Love is the only key to overcoming them. Forgiveness is the key to breaking the cycle of evil as well. Forgiveness is the key to breaking the cycle of evil. If you want evil to continue to perpetuate, hold unforgiveness in your heart. You want to continue to, to have health issues and all these other When you hold unforgiveness in your heart, it can affect your health. Did you know that? Stress can affect the heart, the mind, as much as your diet can. There's studies done on this. It affects your emotional health, your psychological health, and your physical health, not to mention it separates you from God when you hold unforgiveness in your heart. Forgiveness is the key to breaking the cycle of evil, not in that person's life, but in yours. Because if you carry unforgiveness, you are sinning against God. Do you hear me? There's no other way around this. I, would, I wish there was, right? I wish, I wish that you could continue to hate the person that has hurt you. Actually, I don't wish that, if I'm being honest. As a mature believer, I've learned there's no other way. To allow the enemy to continue to hold sway over me and keeping that unforgiveness and bitterness and resentfulness in my heart is to, is to allow the enemy to have the victory. Have the victory that that person had on my life and not let it go. Brandon, it's, I can't forgive. Yeah. Is it that you can or you won't? And my kids tell me all the time, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't. And I'm like, I'm not going to bail you out. Figure it out. Figure it out. The, the, the process of learning isn't somebody always bailing you out. Sometimes you have to go through the muck. 
and the nastiness to come out on the other side of healing. Jesus, where are you in the midst of my pain and sorrow? I'm right there with you, but I'm not going to drag you through it. You have to forge on. I blazed a trail through the cross. And it doesn't mean that your days are going to be flowery and beautiful all the time. But because I've done for you what you couldn't do, there is a way out of this. But you have to push through. You have to push on. And you can't push through and push on without forgiveness in your heart. You stay stuck in the valley. You stay stuck in the mud. It's like having feet that are planted in cement that is dried and you can't move. In order to have forgiveness, you have to bend down and take that hammer and chisel and continue to bang away at it sometimes until it finally cracks. But I forgave them like years ago and now I'm having these feelings again you got remnants, you got to let that, you got to let it go. See, the enemy doesn't want you to let go of stuff. He'll keep bringing things up to remind you of it year after year, decade after decade. He wants you to hold on to that baggage because it weighs you down and it doesn't allow you to continue the speed and the effort toward Christ that you need to be going. Forgiveness is a key to breaking that cycle of evil. Lastly, and it's this, Honor is the key to a stable and just society. See, on a micro scale, people hurt other people. On a macro scale, nations oftentimes hurt people and other nations. Nations, yes, are established by men, but are placed in authority. Those positions of authority are placed there by God. It doesn't mean that they perfectly rule in every given situation. There are tyrannical leaders, there are dictators, there are people that enact genocide on the nations. Still, it's happening today. It didn't just happen in World War II or previous generations. It's happening today in China, in Iran, and other places across the globe that you probably don't even know the names of, or me either. Evil is rampant. Evil is not only on the individual level, it can be on the very corporate level too, on the grand scale of national subsistence. But God can continue to bring good out of evil. God's purposes and ways are never thwarted, even by nations. We are told in Scripture that nations rise and nations fall, but whose kingdom lasts forever? whose kingdom will always reign supreme above all others. In the, in the, in the course of, of uh, Daniel's ministry, uh, through different, different empires and different emperors, he gets this vision even with Nebuchadnezzar. Or he doesn't get the vision, he interprets the dream of Nebuchadnezzar about this statue that's made of different gold uh, and silver and bronze and iron and clay. And then in, the, in, the, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, what is it that comes out of the sky and demolishes this statue? Something of a large boulder that strikes it. It destroys this image of gold, silver, bronze, and iron and clay. And it grows into this large mountain that covers the earth. And it reigns forever. See, in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar is, is seeing, Daniel says, all of these different pieces of the statue are the different kingdoms. And that stone is the kingdom of God that topples all other kingdoms and reigns supreme over all. We are to honor the authorities that God has put into place because if we don't honor the authorities and power, society becomes unstable and devolves into something very ugly. Well, Brandon, shouldn't I stand for what's right? Of course you should. You should always stand for what's right. Always stand for God's purposes. Never not stand for God's purposes. But oftentimes we get off in the weeds of theology 
and we piddle in the things that don't amount to a hill of beans of the grand scheme of eternity, and we stake our claim on this little piece of theology. We shall not be moved. And we will die on that hill when there are bigger pieces of God's picture that oftentimes theologically are non-negotiables. Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Can nobody come to the Father except through him? That's a pretty sheer bet that that is a solid foundational truth. Is Jesus the Son of God? Did he die on a cross? Did he raise from the grave? Did he conquer sin and death? Yes. I only bring this up not because of any conversations I've been having, but over my years of ministry, we, we are a, a movement of churches that believe in the full gifts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe in the miraculous gifts, the healing gifts. We believe in the gift of tongues. But there are traditions out there that believe that if you don't have the gift of tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And we believe that that's not a true teaching scripture. But let me just take this as a side note. That becomes a theological concept that oftentimes divides the church. Yes, people speak in tongues, but do all people. According to Paul, when we read 1 Corinthians 12, he actually gives these rhetorical questions at the end of the chapter where he says, do all people have the gift of prophecy? Do all people have the gift of leadership? Do all people have this? Do all... What he's implying is, no, not all people have it, but we all have these gifts and we are meant to work together like this. If, do you know why we don't have every single gift of the Spirit as individuals? It's because God wants us to work together. We are never to lord over somebody else because they don't have the special gift that we have. Just because you don't stand on a stage and teach or preach doesn't mean your gift is any less important. Do you understand? God doesn't give us or pour out every gift on every individual because then we would become independent and self-reliant. He forces our hand in community so that we interlock together in unity because without that, we are not the body of Christ. We are to honor and bring honor not only to society but within the body of Christ. I see people jockeying for position in the church and people getting easily offended because somebody's strutting their stuff and I don't get to strut mine like they do. Oh, come on. This is exhausting. It's frustrating as a pastor to, to watch this stuff. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I don't like, I'm going to, you're going to, and I'm going to, and then you leave. And then the pastor's like, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Oh, yeah, they left. They didn't like what you said. They were offended. Or they didn't like how you dressed. I know. I don't like it either. My clothes don't fit the way they used to. I don't like how he talks, what he says, how he looks, how he smells. I don't like the carpet. I don't like the pews. I don't like the songs. We don't play the organ. Get over it. It's not about you. It's not about me. The enemy traps us into fighting these stupid Battles. Sorry, I'm trying to be religious here. Fighting these battles that will send us to hell. They do nothing to bring about the best in the body of Christ. We are not a city on a hill so that others can see. Instead, we're hung out in the valley, in the slums, and in the swamps because we fight over stupid stuff. We don't honor one another, we are not honorable. We are not respectful. We don't respect authority. Instead, we live in rebellion. And thus, give the enemy control. Church, those churches that look successful and that seem to be doing the best, 
or maybe tickling the ears of others. Maybe not. I pray to God they're doing a holy work. But the messages like this are not popular messages. They don't, they don't grow the church by physical numbers often. <laughs> but they're vitally important to the foundation of a healthy church. As our worship team comes forward today, I don't know... <sighs> I don't know every situation in every one of your all's lives. I know some of you, and I know some of the hurts that you've gone through, and I don't claim to have all the answers for what you've gone through, but I know someone who does, and I know he's acquainted with your griefs and sorrows in a way that I maybe never will be able to. And if you're looking to if you're looking to your pastors to bring you healing and hope, we'll do the best we can, but there's somebody greater than us that we should be pointing you to, if we're not already, that can give you ultimate hope and healing and deliverance from whatever baggage you've carried into this place or that you're carrying around in your life. Well, I want to close with this. I mean, it's, a, it's a true story. Many of you are familiar with Ulysses S. Grant, one of the presidents of the United States? How many of you have ever heard of Robert E. Lee? Okay, he was a Confederate general. Grant was the Union general during the Civil War back in the 1860s. General Grant was an unusual man. And I've listened to uh, podcasts and stories about him. He was <laughs> rough around the edges as all get out, uh, heavy drinker, pretty rough guy. He was an unusual man. Um, but knowing the war was over and the victory was his, he showed great and unusual kindness and respect toward the chief general of the Confederates, Robert E. Lee. He, he, he allowed Robert E. Lee to ride freely in and out of the area after the war. He also allowed the Confederate men to keep their possessions and their horses he gave them food because they were hungry, and he let them all go home undisturbed after the war. Lee was permanently touched by Grant's kindness. After the war, Lee became the president of Washington College in the state of Virginia. On one occasion, one of his fellow instructors was a Southerner and a Confederate. He began to speak poorly of Grant to General Robert E. Lee assuming that he would receive a sympathetic response back. Lee turned and he looked at the instructor straight in the eye and he said, Sir, if you ever again presume to speak disrespectfully of General Grant in my presence, either you or I will sever this connection with this university. He was the president of the university and this was one of his instructors coming up saying, General Grant, what a dope, what an idiot. Don't you ever presume to speak ill of him again in my presence. Because General Lee had received such kindness from Grant, he treasured and protect, uh, protected the good name of the one who had showed him such kindness. So should we. Never does the human soul appear so strong and so noble as when it foregoes revenge and dares to forgive an injury. Some of you are being held back by unforgiveness. You need to forgive today. Forgiveness isn't a one and done. Sometimes it takes a series of things like chipping away again at the concrete that your ankles have been weighed down by. But you need to start today. Take the one blow at that concrete that's holding you back. And then continue to take several, several more. God will give you the strength to do it. The altars are always open. People are willing to pray with you. Let me pray over you right now. Father, forgiveness is hard, but you're good. Remind us that forgiveness is not easy, but it is the key to peace. 
God, also remind us that we should forgive as much as we've been forgiven by you, the great forgiver. You, you didn't have to. You didn't have to take the cross. You had every right as you prayed in the garden that night before you were arrested. You had every right to say, Father, I don't want to do this. And to exempt yourself from this curse we call sin and death. But your love for us even those of us who would spit at you, reject you, and curse you to your face, your love for us would overcome that multitude of sin. Remind us that we are no better off than the person who's hurt us. We're all swimming in the same pool, all in need of a Savior. Help us to bless those who hurt us and to hope for their best, to hope that they won't be stuck in condemnation, but would receive the glory and the honor that comes through salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.